Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 and, and Isaiah 53 as well this morning as we continue through uh, the, the Beatitudes that Jesus, his first sermon that he preached, the Sermon on the Mount, the first part of that are the Beatitudes. So I've titled this sermon, The Word of God Has a Blue Check Mark. And that Jesus has taught us, verified, what truth is around being happy. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, we see in the Beatitudes, blessed are these things, the things that make us happy are these things. And so that has the blue check mark by it of Christ. So I asked this question last week, I'm going to ask it again. Is there something that you one time believed in your life that later turned out to be completely dead wrong? Last week I talked about quicksand. Quicksand was something I believed as a child would be a problem that turned out to not be a problem when I'm, a, I'm an adult. I never ran into quicksand, I never fell in quicksand, but it was something I believed as a child that would be an issue. This week, I want to ask you a question in relation to that. The question is, would a stallion, a, you know, a horse, would a stallion be happier running around like Yellowstone free, or would a stallion be more happy, willingly, on their own accord, working for a farmer with their strength under control, Serving the farmer and serving the community. So I asked that question. Which one do you think that it is? I had a horse growing up. My mom's here. She can give a blue check mark of verification on this story. Uh, but we had horses and we rode them. I fell off occasionally, broke my arm one time. But what we did with the horses is we trained them and we rode them in horse shows. So like where we grew up in southern Missouri, you had these local horse shows and kids and adults would bring their horses and you would enter into events on Friday nights and you would do these events and hope to get a prize or something like that. Well, I always did like the barrels. It's not a woman's, a woman's sport. It was, the kids can do it too. I did the barrels and like the pickup race and all these other things that you do. We would take the horses to my grandparents and we would ride the horses to the horse show. So my horse was named Strawberry. Now Strawberry was great at home in the field. Run the barrel. She did great. She did wonderful. I think I could win a trophy with her. She's doing so well. Problem is when I got her out into the lights on Friday night with the people around, she would go out into the arena and she would just you know, she would just freeze up, like she wouldn't do anything, and I would get off of the horse, I would try to pull her and try to do anything, and she was not having it at all. So her strength was not under control at all, and it was always so embarrassing for me to try to get her going, like, you do this at home, why won't you do it here? It was not strength under control. Under control. Most people in the world believe what they are doing is pursuing happiness or ultimately happiness. Again, it's in our 
documents as a country, the pursuit of happiness. It's something that we all want to do, something that we all thrive for. I'm doing all these things in my life right now so that at some point this week or next week or at retirement or whatever, that I will ultimately be happy. And the world teaches us all kinds of things about what happiness looks like, right? I mean, hop on social media, like the perfect family, like that's what would make me happy. The, the perfect whatever it may be, that's what makes me happy. Or retirement, that's what's going to ultimately make me happy. Maybe healthy, maybe strong. Those are the things that the world teaches us. But when the, you look at the kingdom of God in the Bible, it's like a lot of times it's opposite. Like we just talked about, it's like to be weak is to be strong. To be dependent upon God is really strength. I just read that in 2 Corinthians. We, we, we're clay vessels. The strength is God within us. To give is to receive. The Bible talks about giving. It says if you sow, um, or if you, if you sow abundantly, you will receive abundantly. If you sow sparingly, you will receive sparingly. Just like the fields that are out here, I'm sure soon they'll be planting corn and soybeans. If they sow a few seeds, that's what they're going to reap. If they sow a bunch of seeds, that's what they're going to reap. It's the opposite of what the kingdom of God teaches us versus the world. In Matthew 5, chapter 5, we've looked at two principles already. It says, those that are poor in spirit are blessed. We looked at that last week. That you come to God bankrupt. There's nothing that you can give to God. You're completely bankrupt. The second one, blessed are those who mourn. Once we come to God and we're poor in spirit, there's nothing we can give to God. We realize our sin. We, we mourn over our sin. And we mourn over the sins of those we love and the, and the world that we live in. And then the next one is blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So we see two. The first two are inwardly, poor in spirit and mourn. That's like an, an inward and now we see the third thing, it's a, an outward expression, kind of like belly buttons, innies and outies. <laughs> Make sure you're all awake. I gained a little weight, trying to lose it. I noticed like a lot more belly button lint with my belly. I don't know. It's a scientific method of, oh, sorry, man, this thing, go on, move on. <laughs> sorry, that was not in my notes, by the way. But innies and outies. So you have the inward expression of blessed are the poor in spirit. The, but the outward is meek. Is a meekness. You inherit the earth. I'm not talking about the kingdom of God. I'm talking about you inherit the earth. That is an outward. It's a now expression. And meekness is not weakness. It's strength under control. I was thinking about what does strength under control look like. I was thinking about the Clydesdale horses that come out at Bush Stadium, and they're trotting around. Now, that's strength under control. That's meekness. It's not weakness. 
I was also thinking of this video that I saw, this guy harassing Mike Tyson on the airplane. Like somebody video recorded. And he was just trying to get decked. Like he was doing all that he could just to harass Mike Tyson. And I just knew. Like, have you ever seen this guy, even at his advanced age, like, you don't want to mess with this guy. Mike Tyson, he, you could tell he wanted to just take the kid's head off. But he didn't. Like, he kept under control. And that, at least in that point in Mike's life, was meekness. Meekness. Meekness is willing to serve under proper authority. Submitting to God's will. Submitting to God's will in your life and submitting to the word of God and the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Submitting to the word of God to allow God to transform us. That is meekness. Two people that I see in the Bible who are very meek. One is Moses and the second one, of course, is Jesus. Moses and Jesus. In Numbers 12.3, the verse says that Moses was more meek than anyone on planet Earth at that time. He was the most meek person. And you may remember the story of Moses. And you say, well, he, he killed an Egyptian. At that time in his life, his, his young adult life, he was extremely prideful. Grew up with privilege. Didn't like the way that his people were being treated. And he killed the Egyptian. Murdered him. You say, well, how does someone go from that prideful to meekness, to being the most meek person at that time? Well, he left after that and went into the desert, and he became a shepherd, and he worked for his father-in-law. So going from where he was to in the desert, as a shepherd, out with the sheep for 40 years, that will humble anyone. And a lot of us are going through our own deserts. Something else that I believe about Moses in Exodus chapter 3, when Moses encounters the burning bush that will never exhaust itself, it just keeps burning and burning, and he finds himself standing barefoot in front of God. Because God says, this is holy ground, take off your shoes. So imagine, here he is with the garb and the old clothes that he has on, stinking like sheep. He takes his shoes off and he goes in front of God. He has nothing to offer God. Talk about humbling someone. So much so that he hid his face. Didn't even want to look. And God does, he does not waste very much time. And he tells Moses, he says, you're going to go to Pharaoh. And you're going to release my people. What does Moses say when God says that? And I want you to hear this part. Because a lot of you are probably thinking the same thing. If God has ever, you ever felt God telling you to do something. Exodus 3, 11 through 12, he says, But Moses said to God, after God told him, you're going to go talk to Pharaoh and free my people, Moses says, who am I? Who am I? God, who, who am I? Now you would send me. That there is poor in spirit. Moses says, who am I? Like, I, I, I mean, I'm just this guy in the desert. Running from my past. But verse 12, God says this. He says, but I will be with you. 
I will be with you. Meekness is serving God and others, willing to put others ahead of yourself and God ahead of yourself. It's dependent on the strength of God. It is strength under control, under the control of God. God doesn't waste much time asking Moses to go. They have a little conversation and he says, hey, I've got a task for you. I want you to go. I want you to go. And in verse 12, we see not only that, but Moses says, or God says to Moses, he said, you're going to come back here after the free people are free. I'm going to give you a sign. The people are going to be free. You're going to come back to the mountain right here, and you're going to serve me. Now, if God told you, like, you're going to do this, and you're going to serve me the rest of your life, I don't know about you, but for me, that gives me great joy. I remember the first mission trip that we, Amanda and I, went on with our old church. We went down to um, South Carolina to help a smaller church do a VBS, and we were there all week. I worked in the tech booth, had a lot of fun. We just had a blast. During that week was probably one of the happiest times of my life because I knew I was doing exactly what God wanted me to do for that week. It was amazing. It was life-changing. It was just a VBS. Like, all I did was work in the tech booth. But it was amazing to know that I was doing exactly what God wanted me to do. So for Moses to say, I'm going to go. This is intimidating. All right, God, you said you're going to be with me. I'm going to do it. And not only that, but you're promising me that I can come back here and I will continue to serve you. Imagine the happiness, blessedness that Moses had during that time. I couldn't imagine I'm sure he was scared, but he was also happy. Number two is, of course, Jesus, the most meek person to ever live, walk on this earth. The prophet Isaiah gives us, in some regards, more of a picture, especially a physical picture, picture, but also more in pictures in other ways of Jesus than even the Gospels do uh, in some times. And so Isaiah, the prophet, he prophesied about a coming servant of God, the coming Messiah. And he wrote this around 700 to 600 BC. So how long was that before Christ? BC, before Christ? 600 years. I know you guys probably already got you, you're like. So about 600 years before Christ, Isaiah prophesied about the coming servant, ultimate servant of God. All right. So in Isaiah, what I'm going to talk about is a chiism, C H A I S M. All right. Okay, chiism. So, I think it's actually I-A, because the C-H-I is the Greek for our English letter X, okay? That's our letter. The Greek, C-H-I, same symbol, X. So, a lot in the Old Testament, you will see, if you read and you look for it, you will see a chiasm. And now they're not all the same. You have to kind of explore and see what that is. But in a lot of, a lot of regards, 
It's an outline of writing and expressing ideas, right, about what you're writing. And so you'll see this in the Old Testament. And so you'll see example of A, B, B, A, right? So the going gets tough, the tough get going. So you put out the idea, the idea, and then you repeat it, and you do it again. So that's the way that sometimes, if you see in the Bible, that things are written out. Also, sometimes you will see A, B, and then an X, the main point in the center, like it folds upon itself, the Bible, the book that you're reading. So A, B, X, B, A. Okay? Does that make sense? So X is the main point. You can see that in Genesis and a lot of other things if you're looking for it. Now, what I see and others have seen as well, not a biblical scholar, but those that I follow have seen this example in Isaiah. I-S-A-I-A-H, right? Okay. So in Isaiah, it's a little bit different, but here's how it's broken down. So Isaiah has 66 chapters, okay? 66 chapters. Now, how many chapters are in the Old Testament? 39. So, in Isaiah 1 through 39, the chapters, the same as there are books in the Old Testament, Isaiah is prophesizing and telling the the people about judgment and the law. Judgment and the law. Same as the Old Testament. Judgment and the law. Now, talking about chiasm. Okay, so how many books of the Bible are in the New Testament? However many that is, 27, right? There's 27. All right, so there's 27. Now, here's where the chiasm comes into play. It's broken down into three sections. One, two, three. Now, the first section that's divided by 27, primarily, the first section of the 27 chapters, which represents the New Testament. This first chapter, which is the A, and this is going to be the B, and this is going to be the X. Everybody following? Good. All right. So the A is talking about Babylon at the time was about to overthrow Israel, and Babylon was defeated, and God's saying, hey, I defeated Babylon for you. You are the Israeli people. This is something that's been prophesied. You should be happy. You should stop uh, worshiping false idols. You should go out into the world and tell the world about me. But as always, people fail. So this was going to be hope and encouragement for the Israeli people. So the second part, so this part here is of what is to come. The new kingdom and the new earth. Just like the New Testament. So Isaiah prophesies about the new kingdom. So that's the second coming of Christ that Isaiah talks about. And dead in the center of this second part of the New Testament, 
dead in the center, the X, the main point is Isaiah 53. So say all that to get there. That the X is the main point of the second half of Isaiah. And I'm going to turn there and I want to read Isaiah 53. It's going to take a little while, but verse 2 through 11. And what I want you to do is I want to hear about our risen Savior, Jesus. I want you to hear about what he went through. I want you to hear his utter meekness. His meekness. Isaiah 53. For he, Jesus, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. And this dry ground is the area of Galilee where Jesus grew up. It was nothing special. It was dry ground. It was hard. But out of that grew up Christ. And that's to go to show, like, you and I, we're farmers. We're, we're planting seeds of Christ. Even if it's dry soil, hard soil, it doesn't matter. God says to plant seeds. That God brings the growth. He can even bring growth into dry ground. That's where Christ came from. He had no form or majesty that we could look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. More of the famous verses in Isaiah 53, verse 5, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. We sing that, right? By his wounds we are healed. All. I want to focus on that word, all. Every single human being, we are all like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. All of our sins have been laid on Christ, even though we are like sheep and we're prone to leave and gone astray. Verse 7 says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it sheared his silence, so he opened not his mouth. As Christ took on all of our iniquities, knowing that we were like sheep led astray. He still took on all of our, our sins and he was afflicted. Verse 8, by opposing in judgment, he was taken away, and for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of our people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has poured him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring, offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. And here's where I want you to see 
the meekness of Christ. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, my servant, Christ being obedient under the proper authority, strength under control, he submits himself to the, to the Father, calls him my servant, may make to be accounted righteousness, and he shall bear their iniquities. So the ultimate meek servant of God under the authority of God, the Father, serves the world. He follows the Father's will for him flawlessly. Flawlessly. Jesus is more meek than Moses because Christ knew that he was going to be sacrificed. Jesus perfectly submitted to his father. He wanted to serve him. Strength under control because Jesus could have called legions of angels. He could have done anything that he wanted to do. But he was meek. So for the application, Elon Musk added the blue check mark on Twitter to verify the accounts, and we can say that the Bible and the truth of what brings us happiness is blue checked, it is verified. We know what, what happiness looks like. And, and when God asks us to humble ourselves and to serve him, we can, we can be like the stallion and just be free, or, or we can be like my old horse and just freeze up. We don't know what to do. Or we can trust God and surrender to his will, knowing that his power is made perfect in our weakness and that he is with you. He is with you. I saw a couple of similarities looking at Moses compared to you and I as Christians, as followers of Jesus. Christ, before he Send it into heaven in Matthew 28. He says, go therefore and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what does he say at the end of that? He says, and behold, I will be with you until the end of the ages. Same thing that God told Moses. He said, go. Go and set my people free. They're, they're held captive under the Pharaoh. Christ is telling us to do the same thing. He says to go, set my people free. I will be with you. That they're being held captive under the enemy, which is Satan. They're being held under their own sin. They're captives. And I want them to be set free. All you got to do is tell them what I told you. Tell them the good news. The Bible says, how will they know if they don't hear? Blessed are the feet of those who I send. Don't worry. God is with you. So it is possible you pursuit of happiness won't work. It's possible. And I believe that the, the stallion under its own authority, its own control, is happier serving the farmer strength under control, serving those around him. Being happy, it all starts with our sins being forgiven. 
to stand before a, a holy God, the great I am. Nothing to offer barefoot. My clothes are ratted. There's nothing I can do. Hot, running from my past and my failures. In our case, God says, in that instance, he says, don't worry. I have a plan. I'm going to send my son, Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. I'm going to send my son to live a perfect life, to be sinless, to, to serve me perfectly, to go to the cross, to meekly, humbly serve me and serve the world. For God so loved the world. So that those that put their faith and trust in Jesus will be forgiven. At the end of Isaiah 53, I'm going to read that last part of 12. It says, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercessions for the transgressors. So Christ, not only did he die for us so our sins could be forgiven for those that put their faith and trust in him, but he's also sitting at the right-hand throne of God, making intercessions for you and for me. And he's telling God, he says, I've already done it. I've already accomplished it. It is done. It is finished. The gospel is true. There's nothing else that anyone needs to do. And he intercedes on our behalf. Like the judge, like he's, he's the lawyer, and he's saying, no, I did it. I completed it. So putting your faith in Christ alone is what makes us happy. Serving God and others is what makes us happy. All you got to do is take it, the free gift. Let us pray. Dear Father, Lord, thank you for uh, thank you for today. Lord, I pray that, that we are poor in spirit, that we do mourn, but then we also, we continue and we just become meek, strength under power, strength under control. That, Lord, we are made strong through you. Lord, you don't waste much time to say, I, I need, I want you to go, to fulfill my will that I have for you in your life, to serve me, to serve the kingdom of God. He doesn't waste much time asking us. And yes, we will be afflicted. Yes, we will have hard times. But God promises that he will be with us. And even through that, we can still have happiness and joy. And that Christ's power is made perfect through our weakness. That the kingdom of God is not like this earth. Lord, help us to see your truth. And what makes us happy. Lord, the last thing I want is people to come to the end of their lives and say, it was all I was just chasing, chasing a shadow. Lord, help us to see your truth. 
as the ultimate truth of what makes us happy. Lord, help us to adjust our lives. Help us to be obedient to your calling that you have upon us. Help us to see that. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for all that he went through. He was despised. He was spit on. He was beaten. He was bruised. He was stabbed. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was mocked. Thank you that he stayed on mission of serving you to go to the cross because without him, without his blood, without being raised to intercede for us, there is no hope, there is no happiness, there is nothing that this world has to offer. Lord, help us to be like that young girl Maria that says, I don't know, I'm a sinner. And I talk to God every day. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. God changes us. He works in us. He forgives us. He did it. It is finished. Help us to live in that, Lord. Because that's what makes us happy. And all God's people said... If you all will please stand and sing with us.